I'm excited to continue in the Big Bang Theory series today. But before we dive into the message, just want to show you a picture uh, over at our property across from the South Park Mall. And you can see that the construction fence is up. And if you look closely, you see that our logo is there. It says, Future Home of South Park Church. Uh, and let's just give God some thanks and praise that things are moving over on our church property. You can see the construction happening behind the fence. And if you're like me, you want to go peek over that fence and see what they're doing. And, you know, right now it's just a bunch of dirt and a big hole they're digging and uh, to excavate uh, to build these big buildings that we're going to have there. But I'm excited to say that two weeks from today, we're going to have a town hall meeting over at one of our sister churches, St. Andrew's United Methodist Church. And we're going to reveal to you what our building's going to look like. And I'm super excited about that to show that to you. We're going to talk about what we're going to build and when we're going to build it, and how much it's going to cost, all that good stuff. So two weeks weeks from today uh, at 2.30 in the afternoon, uh, we send some stuff out. We're going to send more stuff out to you uh, through email and mail and all that stuff to get you ready, uh, give you some facts to be thinking about before you come to the meeting. But uh, it's the big reveal for what the church is going to look like on the exterior. And then next month, we'll have one to reveal what the interior is like, still working on that right now. So uh, we've been working on this for five years, so we're super excited and hope that you can be a part of that again two weeks from today. Well, we're back to Big Bang Theory series. And, uh, last week, we talked about truth. What is truth? Is there one objective truth? And we talked about how truth was viewed throughout history. And most especially, most recently, the postmodern thinking of, of truth is that there is no absolute truth, that what's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. And uh, we, we talked about how that breaks down and, and, and where the holes are in that theory. And if that sounds interesting and you missed it last week, we have that on, uh, on our website, uh, South Park Church. But one interesting thing about the postmodern thinking of the 20th and 21st century is, you know, pretty much everybody should be included and everyone should be, you know, their ideas should be considered equal. And uh, but sometimes that doesn't always play out. And and sometimes in postmodern living, uh, there's some hypocrisy in that postmodern thinking. And and while everyone's supposed to have an equal shake and to be included and, and respected, Sometimes Bible-believing Christian people uh, are not included in that conversation, and and they're ostracized and made fun of or even demonized. And so um, even when we get to uh, our illustration today from the Big Bang Theory, the television show that we're kind of using from culture to help teach some biblical truths, which is a show that I think is hilarious. I watch a lot, and I like to dress like Sheldon, who's one of the main characters. Uh, They really challenge Christian thinking. Uh, Sheldon, who's the main character of the show, he's this young, smart physicist, funny guy, just very socially awkward. Uh, he's an atheist, doesn't believe in God, uh, doesn't even pretend to. His mom is an evangelical Christian. She lives in Texas. Uh, she's portrayed pretty much like a moron. And uh, you can tell that some of the writers of the show really are not big fans of faith, especially Christian faith. And so I want to show you a couple of clips from, from this show and then from another spinoff show from The Big Bang Theory called Young Sheldon. It chronicles Sheldon when he was a child that just show that there, there's some folks in the world uh, who really doubt faith is something that we should honor. In fact, it should be something that should be ridiculed. So for this first clip, Sheldon and his three buddies, are, they're super geeks, and they want to be the first to see the new Star Wars movie that's coming out, and they, they're trying to get tickets, and the tickets go on sale before they knew they were going to go on sale, so they're in a panic, and they're trying to figure out how they can get these hot tickets uh, and just see what Sheldon does. Very interesting. 
That is funny. It's funny. Uh, it's also, you know, mocking what we believe and, and there's a God and that we can pray to God. And uh, evidently, you know, Sheldon is just not a believer. Uh, but it's kind of funny that sometimes we Christians act like that. The only time we talk to God is when we need something. Then when we get it, we forget who God is. So maybe it's not too far off base uh, in making fun of us. But clearly, Sheldon is not a believer in God, doesn't believe in prayer, and just uh, totally was glad not to have to give in to God in an instance. So next clip I want to show you is from the show Young Sheldon. It's when he was younger, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see a scene where his mom, again, is a Bible-believing evangelical Christian from the South, and she takes Sheldon to the church every, every week, if not more than once a week. Uh, and so they're going to be in church and worship like we are now. And uh, Sheldon is going to disagree with the pastor about something, and he's going to be very vocal about it. So let's watch this. I look forward to being destroyed by people all the time, just like <laughs> Pastor Jeff. So, again, yeah, it's a funny clip. And, you know, it's okay that young Sheldon has those, you know, objections and he has questions and that he struggles with faith. I think, I think that's normal. I, I, absolutely. Uh, but of course, the pastor, the young, the southern pastor is made to kind of be like a fool in this show, which I don't really appreciate. But anyway, I think sometimes in our culture, uh, Christianity, people who believe in Jesus, believe in God, uh, are not always seen as being intellectual. It seems as, as foolish. And so sometimes we're made fun of. And so I don't know, but maybe in your life, have you ever felt mocked for your faith? Uh, you ever said to someone, you know, you're going to church, you're doing something like, hmm. You know, and it's kind of like the passive aggressive, hmm, you must be an idiot. They're just not saying that out loud or an eye roll or just, you know, maybe it's watching television sometimes or movies where oftentimes Christians are really displayed as backward hicks or just, you know, stupid people who don't really understand what the world is all about. And or maybe you don't have faith, but you're interested in faith. You're, you're curious about that and, and you'd like to explore faith, but you're just worried that some people in your circles might just really look down on you because you know, to have faith, to believe in God that you can't see ultimately really sounds foolish and you don't want to look like a fool in front of other people. And yet hopefully maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching and, and, and you, there's something within you that, that wants to explore this. And so what we're going to look at today is, is can our faith be reasonable? Can, can our faith be something that uh, we can be intellectual Christians, and that, that wouldn't be an oxymoron. So when, when the world makes fun of us or when our friends make fun of us or other people just don't understand, you know, it, can we be smart people and believe in God? Can we be Christians and believe in the Bible and have faith and still believe in science and, and learn from what science teaches us and see that it's you know, not opposed to God? And so how do faith and reason relate to each other? And I, I believe that faith and reason can, can come together and they're not polar opposites or enemies. And so I'd like to explore that with you today. And, and I hope it can just get us all to start thinking about faith and reason. And, and is our faith, can it be rational? Uh, are we idiots for believing in something that we can't see? All that sort of thing. So we'll explore that together. And I think it is very relevant as the world looks upon faith in, in very different ways. So I'd like to start out now with just what defining what science is. Uh, and so I looked this up in the Oxford Dictionary, uh, and this is what it says. And, and it's very interesting. Um, science is the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world. Right? So we study the world uh, to see how it works. And we do this through observation, 
and experiment. So we, we, we want to intellectually, uh, systematically study the world and the universe to try to find out what it's all about. And we do that through observation and experiment. So Sheldon said that he believes in facts but, but not in faith. And so you got to document it. you got to be able to prove it to me, those sorts of things with science. Now, what I find interesting about science, especially like what Sheldon does and some of his colleagues on this show, they're astrophysicists, they're physicists, uh, theoretical physicists, and, and a lot of scientists, uh, before they can prove something in an experiment or can observe something, uh, they predict what things will be like in the, in the world or the universe, and they try to prove that they're right. But until they prove that they're right, their theories are really just that. They're theories. They are faith. They believe this has happened. They haven't been able to prove it yet, but they believe that their theories are right. For example, two of the biggest widely accepted uh, theories in science, the Big Bang Theory and evolution, uh, are ultimately believed by lots of people, and they may or may not be right. But at the end of the day, they are theories because no one was there at the beginning to see the, how the universe was created. No one was back in history when, when, they, when they said the evolution happened. Uh, and so ultimately, those are theories which are kind of like faith, right? So we believe in certain things as Christians. Scientists believe in certain things. Certainly they're informed by reason and they're informed by rational thinking. But a lot of things that people believe are true are theories. In fact, even to be an atheist, to say that there is no God, is a leap of faith because no one can prove that there's not a God. In fact, no one knows everything. And so when an atheist says, I don't believe in God, right there it is, they don't believe in God. So from the beginning, science and faith are somehow connected in that there is a leap of faith in each of them. So that doesn't mean that we can't prove things like three and two is five. We talked about that last week and uh, we, we were able to prove all kinds of things. But there is still a level of faith even in hard science. So I want to talk for just a minute about our faith and some of the things that we believe. And could they be rational? Even if you don't believe in the Bible, if there wasn't a Bible, could we believe that there is a God who created everything? Uh, could we believe in miracles? Could we believe in life after death? Could those things scientifically possibly happen? I, I think there's some things that, that would tend for us to think that it's not totally irrational to believe things like that. So let's think about God as a creator, something bigger than who we are, has created the universe. We can't necessarily see God in the way that we see each other. Could that be possible? And I think about a scientist who's studying uh, a drop of water that they put on a slide and they're looking at that under a microscope. And in that slide, they discover there's this whole microscopic little like universe in there. There are all these little critters that are just tea tiny and they're moving around and they're alive and in their own environment. And they're completely oblivious that somebody's looking at them uh, much larger than they are in a much bigger world than they are, have no clue that, that they're under a microscope. They think they're in their water drop that's wherever in the lake or the ocean or whatever, right? Couldn't that be true of us that in our everyday life, like we're on the, we're on the microscopic slide and there could be something bigger than, than what we are and smarter than who we are and what we're able to do and, and that, that that could be God? I mean, is that such a stretch? I mean, I, I don't think so. I think you know, there could be something bigger than us that observes us and, and we don't have the technology to observe them back. And, and so 
I think that that's a possibility. I think, you know, one of the, the things people say about God, well, if, if, you know, if God's real, how can God answer literally billions of prayers a day? If there's one God and all these billions of people just on our one planet alone, how can God begin to process that? And I just, I got to believe God has a lot better technology than us. And it, it, God's inbox, he's got a great system of dealing with his inbox better than I can deal with my email inbox. But, you know, you think about like a, an adult Einstein and, and, and how much he could grasp about the, the secrets of the universe. And you compare his brain to my brain brain when I was a baby and all I could focus on was dropping my spoon so my mom would pick it up and and I'd drop it again so she could pick it back up right there's a huge difference between Einstein's mature brain and my baby brain and just think about how God's brain could be just you know infinitely more uh, attuned than Einstein's brain and so is it a leap that there's a God who could hear and understand and process all of our prayers I, I think it I think it could be a possibility but what about life after death you know that just sounds absolutely crazy sounds absolutely foolish and you know when you die you're dead and, and, and you go on but but couldn't life after death kind of be like you know like our software and our hardware to where you know who we are is kind of made up in our brains and all of our electrical synapses going on in our consciousness you know if 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 god has created this couldn't he like you know upload who we are out of our dead bodies and then hang on to that somewhere and then you know kind of download them back into a, a new body you know it would be like the software is out of our current hardware god keeps it somewhere for a while when jesus comes back we get our new bodies he puts it you know he downloads it into some new hardware i mean is that concept so wild and crazy I don't think so. I mean, to me, I begin to think about God and, and how God just must have this, this incredible kind of technology. And then like when people uh, study like uh, quantum mechanics, that's like studying atoms and the, and the little elements that are inside the atoms, the protons and electrons and all that. And, you know, now they propose there might be, even within all that might be these little strings that, that everything in the universe is made up, this strings, this string theory that, that, you know, when scientists study all of that, they, they can never naturally observe what's going on in there. And so they're not quite sure how all of that works. To me, that's a lot of room for God to work in the world. That if God made everything and he, he made the atoms and controls all those things, then maybe when he does miracles, he just is shifting around atoms so that Jesus can walk on water or turn water into wine or bring someone back to life. That, that God understands how to manipulate the building blocks. We've learned how to split an atom and make a nuclear bomb. And, and if humans can, can manipulate atoms on some level, couldn't God be manipulating atoms on some level? So maybe that's how God works in the world. Speaking of which, if you're curious about my shirt today, it says, Never trust an atom. They make up everything. That's totally cheesy. Sure. That's just an, another Sheldon shirt, not a Kyle shirt, although I am wearing it. But uh, so could things that we believe really be rational? I think so. Speaking of miracles, just another picture from our property over there. I want to show you. If you see this construction's going up. That's the new cell phone tower that's going up on our property. And if you've been with us for the past five years, you'll know that the old cell phone tower that we had in a contract with them almost shut our project down. So to see that, that's a miracle. And so that's a different kind of miracle. So praise God for the new cell phone tower. And it allows us to move forward and build our buildings. Now, another interesting thing is, is when you start studying science, both some of their theories and some of the things that they've proven, some of the things about science sound like miracles. They sound like absolute fiction, like science fiction, like there's no way this is, is really happening. But scientists really believe that it's true or they've proven that it's true. 
For example, the whole idea of Einstein's about relativity, that the faster that you move towards the speed of light, time actually slows down. So if I was to get on a spaceship by myself, get in a little rocket in a spaceship and, and, and go at the speed of light, which so far is impossible to do, just if I was away for a short time, it would seem, you know, like a few months or, or maybe a year or whatever that I'm gone away, I would have aged that much in my time. If I came back to the earth, then in the same amount of time, most of you would be dead. Most of our children would be old people because time passed differently for me because I was moving much faster. Time passed for you in a regular amount of time. And so I would look like a young man to you if you were still alive. And so that's what it means about relativity. Uh, Time moves relative to your speed. And so, you know, that sounds like science fiction. That sounds like a miracle. But that's what physicists believe that relativity is really all about. Uh, I got another one. I'll tell you a story about a a farmer and a barn. The farmer's got a 40-foot-long pole, and he has a 20-foot-long barn, and he wants to put the 40-foot-long pole in the 20-foot-long barn. Could he do that? He could, but he'd have 20 extra feet sticking out. But he doesn't want 20 extra feet sticking out. He doesn't want to cut his, his log down. And so he wants to put it into the barn. Relativity says if the farmer holds his pole and he runs fast enough and the door of the barn's open that he can get the 40-foot pole in the 20-foot barn and shut the door. All right. What do you think about that? That's a true scientific theory that geniuses believe can happen because speed contracts length. And so you can, you, if you can move fast enough, you can get the 40-foot pole in the 20-foot barn. Now, I had an engineer after worship this morning ruin it for me. He said, yeah, that, that might be true, but when you stop, then the pole goes back to 40 feet and you bust your dar- barn door open. I'm like, thanks for telling me that. You know, I was like, come on. But you can take a 40-foot pole, put it in a 20-foot barn if you move fast enough. Now, that sounds to me like walking on water. That sounds to me like uh, turning water into wine. That's what physics says is possible. It's a theory, right? I don't know anybody who's been able to do that unless you're hiding all your poles in your barns out there. But scientists, genius scientists, believe that that is true. Right? Now, here's one that they have proven is true, and it just sounds like too good to be true. Uh, if you live in a house that has two stories... And if you spend most of your time living in the upstairs of the second story, then your, your life moves by faster than if you have somebody who's living downstairs on the first floor. If you work in a skyscraper every week, you go into uptown Charlotte, you're working up on the 30th floor, 40th floor, then your life is moving faster than the person who's living uh, and working on the first floor because the higher up you are, the faster that time moves. Now, well, we, this, is, this is a proven fact. And you, know, you might be thinking, well, so what? Like, I don't see that in my life because it's only a matter of nanoseconds. Like, you know, you divide the seconds up, big deal. So what? So there are a few nanoseconds faster than I am. What's the big deal? I know it just sounds completely dorky, but but get this. That true fact affects the way that that people at Verizon and Sprint who have all these GPS satellites circling the Earth up in outer space, if they don't account for that, then the GPS coordinates are going to be wrong. Because the higher up the satellite is, then the faster time is moving, it affects distance. And so 
if you didn't adjust the clock in the GPS satellite that's circling the earth, uh, then if you went to the location that you're supposed to go to, say you want to go to Roost Chris after lunch today, uh, for lunch today after church, if you were going by your satellite and your GPS on your, on your phone, then you would be 11 miles off because you have to adjust that time goes by faster up in space than it does on the earth. And if they don't adjust that, then you're going to be 11 miles away from your destination. If you don't adjust it on the second day, you're going to be 22 miles off. And so time, the higher up you are, the faster you're living, right? So if you're living in the penthouse, you're living a faster life than everybody. And there you have it, right? And that sounds like water into wine. That sounds like Jesus walking on the water. That that just can't be true, but it's true. And everybody who has a GPS, you can thank Einstein for that, that you're not off by 11 miles wherever you go after church today. So are science and faith really so far apart? Maybe not. Uh, but then we come to things like the Big Bang Theory and the evolution theory, and they, they seem so rational and logical. And, and could that be the way that God created the universe and the earth? It absolutely could be. It might be, might not. Well, what about the book of Genesis? It says God created in so many days. He just spoke it out. Could that be true? It absolutely can be true. Uh, but let's look at Genesis for a minute. I've got a slide here from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Uh, and if you, if you haven't read this in a while, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are, are two different versions of the creation story. And they actually say different things if you look at them. Uh, the, the writer of Genesis 1 uh, has a different style and prose than, than the writer of Genesis 2. We think these are sources that Moses used when he put the Bible together. Uh, but Genesis 1 is very orderly and it's got the seven days. And Genesis 2 talks about why God did this and, 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 and Adam and Eve and the animals and, and, and like it's like a story. So like chapter one's kind of like a history book and chapter two is kind of like a story, like a narrative, like we're in the midst of that. But what's interesting is they have different order of what was created when. And you can see that right there on the screen. Genesis 1, we start out with the light, then the firmament or the sky, dry land, vegetation, the lights. Uh, day four, that's the sun and the moon. You know, was the day for God 24-hour day? Probably not because he didn't create the, the sun until the fourth day. And, the, and, and an earth day is how much time the earth goes around the sun all that, or turns around. Anyway, uh, then we get to the birds and the fish, animals and humans, and then God takes the day of rest. But in Genesis 2, he starts with earth and heavens, mist and water. He creates Adam, then the Garden of Eden, then trees, rivers, animals, and then Eve. Right In, in chapter 1, God creates man and woman at the same time. Here they're kind of spaced out. And so from just a cursory reading, it looks like there's two different orders of creation. Which one is right? Which one is wrong? Uh, But a lot of translators say that when it says that God formed the Garden of Eden or God formed the trees in in Genesis chapter 2, that it's been translated incorrectly, that it should have been translated God had formed. So God created man, but before God created man, he had formed the Garden of Eden. He had formed trees. He had formed rivers. And I think that's a legitimate way to translate that. But what I'm trying to say right now is that in the book of Genesis, for those of us who are people of faith, how God created is not as important as that God created, right? God created. How he did it, it was it a 24-hour day period? Was it evolution? Was it a big bang? It, God created. There was intention behind it. Uh, and, and more important than the how is the why. Why did God create? God, God created everything and he made it good. God wanted to be in relationship with people. God wanted people to be in relationship with each other. God wanted to, people to live life and have life to the full. God wanted us to take care of the planet that God has given us. And so the book of Genesis is not a science book. 
It's a relationship book. It talks about, yes, God did create, and why did God create? How he created, right? We get, a, we get kind of the picture, but, but that's not as important as the why or that God did create. So I want to read another passage of Scripture. This is from the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book, it's, it's, a, it's called a wisdom book, and it talks about what wisdom is. And, and this is what Proverbs chapter 3 says. By wisdom, the Lord God laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. So God created with wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So God knew what he was doing. God was smart. God intentionally created the earth. God intentionally created the universe. God intentionally created us. And God had rational thought on this. He had wisdom. He had understanding in things that, that we cannot understand. So to have faith in a rational God, we, we can do that, right? And so, so to recap where we are so far, I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there at you. Uh, just, just three kind of points so far that I think are important for us to notice. First is that all truth is God's truth. If we can get a 40-foot-long pole and a 20-foot-long barn, then that's the way God made the universe. That's awesome. Right? If time goes by faster on the second floor than it does on the first floor and that affects our satellites by 11 miles, uh, that's awesome. Right? The more we learn that's true in the universe, the more we learn about how God made the universe, and that's great. And so we shouldn't shy away from science. We shouldn't shy away from rational thinking. We're just trying to understand what God did. And the more that we learn, the more that we learn about God, and that's awesome. The whole relativity thing, right? That's the way God made the universe, and that's the way God made the universe. All right, the next thing would be is don't confuse the how with the why, right? This goes back to the book of Genesis and the Big Bang Theory and evolution, right? How God created, that's interesting, right? They're all theories. All of them are theories, but why God created is so much more important. God created with intention, and he created us to be in relationship with God and to be in relationship with each other. That's what faith offers that science doesn't. Science tries to understand how God made the universe. They won't say God in that, but what, what faith does is it offers why God did that. We have the why answers. Science doesn't look at the why. They just look at the how. And so I think faith and reason go hand in hand because they help us understand the how and we can help understand the why. And then the third point is to follow Jesus, we don't have to check our brains at the door. And so, yes, we can be smart and follow Jesus. Lots of scientists, brilliant people, believe in Jesus, believed in God. And so when we come to church, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay for young Sheldon to ask questions. We don't have anything to hide. We don't have it all figured out ourselves. We're trying to understand God. And so it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to use our brains. The founder of our church, John Wesley, said one of the ways that we get to know God is through our reason, through our brains. God gave us brains so we can use them and we don't have to check them at the door. And we can question things that, that we think might sound harmful or hurtful. And so so we can come together and we can hold faith and knowledge together and, 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 and be smart about it and also have faith. Now, having said all of that, at the end of the day, we still, if, if we believe in God, if we believe in Jesus, we can think rationally about it. We can be smart about it. At some point, we still have to take a leap of faith. 
that we can't prove to anybody. Just like an atheist can't prove there's no God, we can't prove that Jesus is, is who, he, uh, who he says he is and that he does what he says he will do. Right? Jesus said he's the Son of God, God himself, and that he came into the earth to save us, to save us from our wrongdoing, from the guilt and shame that we carry around, from, from death, eternal death, and to save us from hell, which is separation from each other and separation from God, living in right relationships. So Jesus says, I'm Son of God, I'm God. I've come to save you from wrongdoing, guilt, shame. I, I've come to save you from death and separation. And I, I came to save you for relationships and living life to the full now and forever into eternity. And so at some point, as rational as we can talk about God and faith and and science and and faith walking hand in hand, at some point we have to make the leap that I can't prove this, but it it seems cool to me and and I'm going to make that leap. And so uh, I want to read to you something that's going to sound counter to everything that we've talked about so far, but it just shows you how wild it is to really believe in Jesus because it sounds crazy. And so the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he was a pastor in the first century. Uh, He used to persecute Christians. He put them in jail. He killed them until he encountered Jesus for himself. And then he started founding churches. And and when he was away from churches, he would write them letters. And we collected those letters, and they've become the New Testament. And so he wrote uh, to a church that he started in Corinth, which is in Greece. And he's writing to the Corinthians there. uh, And he's talking about wisdom. And he's talking about uh, Jesus and the cross and what he did for us. And he says, it just seems foolish to the world. And that's okay. So let's look at what Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where's the teacher of the law? He's talking about the religious law of Israel where people believe that they are supposed to do 613 commands to earn their way back to God. Where's the philosopher of this age for for non-people of Israel, right? The, The wise sages. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. Jews demand signs, right? The Jewish people, the people of Israel wanted Jesus to do miracles to say, prove to us your God. And he did those miracles and they still didn't believe in him. And Greeks look for wisdom. You got to make me think that there's a God. Help me understand that rationally, kind of like what we've been talking about. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a foolishness to Gentiles. What do you mean the way that God saves us is by dying? What kind of a God is that? What kind of an impotent, weak God has to come and die on a cross? Why couldn't you just come in and get rid of all the evil and and make things right? right? That is a stumbling block. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. I love this. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So Paul says, yeah. This Jesus stuff, it sounds absolutely foolish. Why would the God, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, why would he send his son, send himself to die 
right? To become a, a measly little human being, to become the little microscopic thing in the, on, the, on, the, on the microscope that we talked about, right? Why would Jesus become one of us and die so that we could have our way back to God? Why didn't he just come in a mighty, powerful way and do away with evil and, and just restore us to God, right? Because God works in ways that we don't understand, Right? And, and so Jesus takes upon himself all of our wrongdoing when he didn't do anything wrong. Why would he do that? That's so foolish. Right? And so to the world, that seems extremely foolish. But to me personally, because it's so foolish, I think I really believe it. Right? Like, like why would, how could I get back to God? I'm not a perfect person. I've made lots of mistakes. I've got a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, a lot of baggage in my life. And if God is truly perfect, then I couldn't even stand in his presence. It would take him reaching out to me to bring him back. That makes sense. So Jesus coming to me when I can't come to him on my own because I'm not perfect. I can't stand in God's presence. That makes sense. And then for Jesus to, to take upon himself all of my stuff, I don't know of any other religion that believes that a God loves us so much that he would take on something that he didn't do and and die for that, if that doesn't say how much God loves me, I don't know what does. I don't know of anybody or any God who would love me so much to take on all my junk and die for me, right? It it is foolish, but it's so foolish that it, it just makes sense to me. So at some point, as rational as we can talk about faith, we have to take a leap of faith and believe in the cross, knowing that it sounds foolish to the world, but when it comes down to it, it makes a lot of sense. Only God could reach down to us and help us. And what a loving God to take all of our junk upon himself so that we can be restored into a right relationship with God. So so what, right? So what's the big takeaway? I gave you a few key points earlier, and those are important, but but I think, I think the key is, the so what moment is, is, is that we're called to be, be fools for Jesus, right? Be a fool for Jesus. And I'll caveat that by saying we can be a smart fool for Jesus, okay? We don't have to check our brains at the door. We can think rationally. We can embrace science. We can talk rationally with people about our faith, right? We can be a fool for Jesus, and we can be a smart fool for Jesus. But at some point, we've got to take the leap of faith. Okay, and so, so some practical ways that you can do this in your life to be a fool for Jesus, I'll just, I'll just challenge you to do this. The next time that, that you feel mocked for your faith, maybe it's the eye roll at work, or maybe it's the hmm comment that you get, or maybe you see something on television or something. If someone makes you feel foolish for your faith, if, if it's a person in front of you, I would invite you to try to enter into a discussion with them. So you know what? I know, I get it. It sounds absolutely crazy, right? But, but this is why I believe. And these are some rational reasons for why I believe and and begin to try to engage them. If they don't want to have a conversation with them, then hopefully the way that you're living your life, they will stop and see like, you know, it's like my Christian friend, they're always kind to people who are mean to them. And and they're always praying for other people. They're always giving their money and time to help other people. If they won't listen to us through our words, maybe they'll listen to us through our actions. And they might think, wow. Maybe they're not as foolish as they think they are. They seem to have it together. They seem to be living a life that, that looks like fun and, and looks good. And I'd like to learn more about that. Right? And so sometimes we can influence them with our conversation. Sometimes we'll influence them with our example. But sometimes we won't have a chance. It'll be like we see on television. People are making fun of Christians. They're making fun of Christianity. They're making fun of pastors. What do we do when we see that? How do we be a fool for Jesus? You know, I used to get real mad at that stuff. 
But now when I see stuff like that, I just say, you know what? I stop and I consciously say, Jesus, thank you for letting me be a fool for you. I, I believe that our faith is rational. But you know what? If people need to believe that I'm foolish, then, then I'm glad to be a fool for you. Because I believe in you and I think you are the, the way and, and you've made a difference in my life. And so if I need to be seen as a fool for a while, then I'm cool with that because you suffered much more than that when you died for me on the cross. So be a fool for Jesus. Right? You can be a smart fool. Try to enter in some, some, some intellectual conversations. Right? Talk about your faith. Show your faith through your actions so that people might see that, that your faith is foolish, but your actions are not and that you're living life to the full with God. And if you don't have a chance to do either one of those, then just stop and say, God, thank you for letting me be a fool for you. Right? So when I was in divinity school training to be a pastor, my friend Greg was also training to be a Methodist pastor. And he was at his apartment complex and he ran into this guy he didn't know. And they started talking like, what do you do? What do you do? He found out, you know, hey, you're going to graduate school. You're learning to be a pastor. And, and this guy looked at him like, like my friend Greg was an idiot. He's like, why are you going to study to be a pastor? Like, you know, you're smart enough to get in graduate school at the university. You should quit that. You should get into law school or you should get into medical school. And you can make a lot of money and you can do a lot of good things for our community. How dare you waste your time and your money and your intellect choosing to be a pastor? So not only did he think that my friend Greg was a fool for believing in Jesus, but he thought he was the fool of all fools for giving his life to this Jesus and pursuing a, a ministry career. And he just, he just couldn't let it go. Like, you're a complete idiot. You need to go to medical school. You need to go to law school, which are, you know, great things. So my friend Greg was telling me about this, and I just was getting mad. And, man, I'm like, take me to meet your friend, man. We need to talk to this guy, you know. And, like, two ministers are going to beat up somebody, right? You know, and so it's like, but, I'm like, I was mad, you know. And so, you know, looking back on that now, you know, if I could go back, you know, 20 plus years and, and tell myself back then, you know, you know what? It's okay. Be a fool for Jesus. If anything... You should go, Kyle. You and Greg should go hang out at the apartment complex. Get to know this guy. Let him get to know you, that you guys are you know, everyday guys and, 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 and you're cool guys and you can let him see Jesus in you, right, rather than getting mad at him, right? So when we're mocked from the world or maybe we're afraid to explore faith, we, we want to, but we don't want to be made fun of. It can absolutely be a rational pursuit, but at some point, we need to take the leap of faith and believe in Jesus for ourselves, even if that means that the world sees us as fools, right? Never trust an atom, right? They make up everything, right? But you can trust Jesus. You can trust the greatest fool in the world because he's the real deal. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. amen.